our top real estate agent, he still grinds and he closed 84 transactions with no team by himself last year. In our average price point in our area is around 550,000. So if he's averaging about 2%, he made close to near a million dollars last year. Being a real estate agent is potentially a very lucrative career, but it's also an industry with a high failure rate and a lot of risk. So how do you minimize that risk to maximize your chances of success? We'll get the answer to that question on today's episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm host Alex Freeman, and my guest today is Santino Filippelli, owner and principal broker of Modern Realty. Santino got into real estate negotiating short sales in 2010, just after the housing crash. After some time working in a large agency, he realized it wasn't set up for individual agents to succeed. He started Modern Realty in 2017 to correct that problem, creating an agency environment where individuals at all levels could thrive. Today, we'll hear Santino's insights on how to get started in real estate the right way. I'm excited to hear his advice, and I hope you are too. Let's dive into the conversation. Santino, first, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, Alex. I appreciate it. So for those who haven't gone back and listened to our past interview or, or maybe seen you on some, some upflip videos that you've done, can you briefly share your background and how you got into the real estate business? Yeah, sure. So I got into the real estate business kind of on accident, kind of on purpose. When I was 19, I actually got my real estate license with never the intent of doing it as a full-time career. But when I was uh, going through college to get my degree in firefighting and so forth, real estate just really started to pick up. And I found out I was actually really good at it. And I always knew I wanted to help people. But uh, instead of saving lives, I realized I could also help people with financial goals and long-term goals. And it really let me have that ceiling that was over my head in all these professions lifted off. And so I dived right in, talked to my wife and said, Hey, you know, I think I want to potentially quit. And she's like, well, you know, uh, I trust you. So I was like, okay, as long as you understand, we may be homeless if I don't sell anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems to be doing great and only, only upwards from here. So let's say someone has, has no real estate experience. What are the, what are kind of the first steps to get into this industry? You mentioned you got your real estate license at 19. Um, I mean, is getting the license the first step? Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I think doing any kind of basic research and having a basic foundation of understanding of what real estate, which I think we'll go through during this podcast. I think, yeah, if you were the first step, if you want to become a real estate agent and you're just saying, Hey, I just want, I have a general understanding. Yeah. That'd be the first step. You, there's so many websites, you know, CE trend. There's quite a few different websites that you can go on. You pay about 300, 400 bucks on there and you take your credit hours and then you have a final test that will be somewhere located in your city, depending on if they've adapted since COVID and uh, allow you to take it from home. But otherwise you will go to your city, you'll take the test and there you are, you're a realtor. Now, you know, there's, there's obviously that initial cash outlay to get that license. Sure. But before somebody does that, maybe what are some of the, the must have skills or, or, personality traits that could help a person thrive in the industry? Because the barrier is so low and some, and some would say to become a real estate agent, a lot of people will get their license and may not have the type of traits or skills, but be a really good test taker and be able to take the test. Right. Um, so to answer your question, 
a lot of the certain people who thrive in this industry, or if you're familiar with the DISC test, usually have high Ds or high Is. And if you're not familiar with the DISC test, it's 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 people with a lot of drive, unrelentless work ethic, really high kind of aggressiveness, and then, but not to the point where it's overbearing. But uh, and then it, it, the high I is really what helps balance that out because that's your people skills. That's your ability to hold conversations, relate to people, be outgoing, be gregarious. And, you know, they say that those two are the ideal realtor traits to have, but there are so many different types of realtors that don't have high D's and high I's that are in the industry and can still do well. But there's something about having a high D and a high I that allows you to be a what's called a rainmaker in in our industry, a team leader, a you know those 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 people that you see, you know, on TV shows and stuff like that. So you've got those those high performing individuals. You've got your your selling sunset type folks, correct? Um, but the the vast majority of people who enter and become real estate agents fail within their first five years. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? And what could a new agent do to make sure they're not part of that statistic? So it's such a good question. And this is a question that I pondered before opening our brokerage. Because if you think about it, Alex, if you were a professor of a college course or, you know, in your graduating class, you know, 87% of them failed after five, four or five years, whatever it is. And only 13% made it. The question becomes then is what's wrong? Was it the teacher? Was it the coursework? Was it the students? Was it the the way it was laid out, you know, or a combination of all those things, right? And so you, it, it's really relatable to real estate in that aspect because there, I think there are a few factors. Some A lot of times why people fail in this industry is they don't know what they're getting themselves into. They're leaving, you know, a regular job and they, they, they see like, you said, you know, the sunset, uh, selling sunset realtors on TV. And they're like, wow, you know, I look really good. I'm good with people. Um, this could work. And the, you know, I'm, I, I love talking to people or, or, Hey, you know, I used to sell cars or I, I was a great salesperson at this job. That's real estate is not a, as, as what it appears on TV. And it's not as simple as being a good people person. So I think that's the first reason why there's a high failure rate is people just don't understand what it takes. Uh, and then um, the second is institutionally, we're only seeing in the last recent 10 years or so, most real estate brokerages changing their model. So the model used to be a very high cost to be at a brokerage with sometimes no, like, so they'd have to pay you know, $25,000 a year and you have to guarantee it usually some, and back, you know, we're talking, you know, 20 years ago or so, or 30 years ago, depending on how old, where part of the country, but long story short, what's happened over the last 10 years is that that cost has kind of in some brokerages came down. Um, you have these, you know, hundred uh, percent brokerages with monthly fees. So that's kind of helped with, these agents that are only closing one to five transactions a year because they're not having to spend a lot of money at their brokerage. So that's one of the reasons why the failure rate I think as well. And then the third reason I think is whenever you do get into these brokerages, 
if you're going into these brokerages that offer a bunch of, you know, 100% options, you kind of, it's kind of like you get what you pay for type of deal, right? They're not going to have a lot of staff. They may, you may be joining a brokerage with a thousand agents or 500 agents and, you know, the support might be very minimal or you pay a lot more money and maybe you have a lot more training, a lot more support, but then you have the cost of the overhead. And so, uh, I think the third reason is the, the brokerage in which it's set up is, is another one of the top reasons in which I think the failure rate is so high. Now, Santino, I want to talk about the, the current real estate market a little bit. It has obviously the last three years uh, have been a bit of a roller coaster of a ride. What are, what are the most challenging aspects of the current real estate market and what should agents be doing to meet that challenge? Actually, the last 10 years have been actually really great in the real estate market, depending on who you are and I guess how you perceive it. But we are coming to a point where we're seeing interest rates rise higher than they have in the last you know 10 years or so. And we're seeing buyers that were once qualified just two months ago are no longer qualified due to the interest rates. And so we're seeing the shift in the market. And I think we're also going to see a drop in the amount of agents that are going to continue to remain in, in the industry. You mentioned, you know, people leaving, leaving a steady job. So, you know, I would imagine that, you know, there's certainly a a large share of people that say, Hey, I'm sick of, of working for a corporation. I'm going to go work for myself, be a realtor, other industries or niches that transfer particularly well to the real estate world. Um, like, you know, home inspectors or construction workers or what kind of jumped to mind for me? Do they have a leg up over new agents without that experience? It's interesting because if you look at my background, you wouldn't see real estate as a potential career choice for me. You know, I went from going to school to be a police officer to a firefighter to working in the hospital in cardiology to getting accepted into nursing school to then full-time realtor after well, part-time realtor during that whole time. And then, um, you know, just sell here, sell there. But to answer your question, some of these other trades that I've seen that have come in are if you've worked at a lot, uh, for example, our top sales producer, he came from the banking industry. Usually there's a reward or incentives for sales and, you know, upselling. And so they're trained in that, but they're trained in such a way that, it's not like aggressive, like you would see at maybe a used car dealership. Nothing against used car sales people. There are some great ones out there who aren't like that, by the way. But, you know, we've seen crossovers from there that have done really well. We've seen people who, you know, I don't necessarily know that I've seen anybody come from the contracting background that has been a magnificent real, but their wives usually or husbands, vice versa, uh, do really well because they're feeding them. But, I think that people who succeed in this industry are going to be people who understand uh, or come from jobs like banking, title and escrow. Um, we see people come from corporate, some corporate jobs that, that have sales quotas. And these, again, these are different type of sales. So not all of them transcend completely, but really what you're looking for is somebody who is not afraid to pick up the phone and has that ability to also be professional while still being bold. 
I also uh, understand that you you have a, a YouTube video where you kind of explain the different types of real estate agents. Could you point to point our guests to where they could find that? Yeah, uh, it's just Modern Realty on YouTube. You should be able to find us. There'll be a video on there that will uh, talk about you know the number one question I get asked if you're thinking about if you're thinking of becoming a realtor. Watch this video, and it it categorically breaks down you know, the perception of realtors, what the course is that you would do to become a realtor and some of the mistakes that people make, you know, when joining real estate. So I think that that's, that's key is that people understand those things. Fantastic. And after you've uh, checked out that video, uh, if you want to get more insights into the nuts and bolts of getting started as a first time entrepreneur, there's tons of helpful advice on the Upflip blog. You'll find it at upflip.com slash blog. Or click the blog tab at the top of the page if you're listening on our website. As you get more established in your career, you can you can systematize some more things. So what are some of those tools, websites, software programs that real estate agents can use to kind of systematize some of their tasks? Yeah, absolutely. Follow Up Boss is a great CRM. Dan Corkill, the owner of Follow Up Boss, the creator of it. Uh I I know uh personally and um I think, I think he did it. I think it's probably one of the best CRMs out there. So CRM is a client relationship management tool. It helps you navigate your database. When your leads come in, it's a great tool to help, you know, systematize automated contact that goes out. Getting an assistant, uh, uh, whether virtual or real, uh, is going to be a big factor. I would say if you're going to grow your business, that should be your first hire is an assistant and they're going to help with some of the back end stuff. And then again, you know, hiring your transaction coordinator, that'll really help systematize your process. And usually whatever brokerage you have, they will have some sort of back end system, whether it's dot loop, sky slope, or their own created back end system, whether you will put your documents in. But again, if you have a virtual assistant or a transaction coordinator or whoever, they can, uh, they will take care of that for you. So again, you know, leveraging out and delegating out these tasks, uh, you could even hire ISAs inside sales agents and they can take care of some of that lead generation time and outbound calls. And so it starts to free up, but with all that stuff, you have to be able to teach these people. You have to be able to tell them what you want, how you want it. So you have to know how to do it. You, I, I don't know if you can necessarily just come in and start hiring a bunch of people and and have everything run. I think you have to really know what you're delegating out and how you want to delegate to make sure it represents your brand. As a new agent is kind of entering the the potential workplace, how should they be considering what agency they want to join? So do a lot of interviews is my first thing. And really think about how you want to, I guess, grow as an agent. If you and it really just depends on your background. If you come from a family of realtors, you know, and you you already know quite a bit, then maybe starting off as an individual agent is great. You know, without selling our brokerage, right? I would say look for a brokerage that perhaps offers something similar to what we have, where you can maybe receive some leads, has great training, and but yet still lets you operate your own business, where you can take what you've learned and use their leads or use their teachings to grow your brand and your business. But you want to, the main things you're going to want to ask about are caps and splits, right? So that caps are how much you have to pay a year. Splits are the percentage of each paycheck that go to what it is that uh, your cap is. And then any additional fees, you're going to want to ask about what their training process looks like. 
And you're also going to want to ask about, you know, growth opportunities, right? What, what is the growth opportunity here in this brokerage? Because at some point in your career, if you're doing well, you're going to get to a point and say, okay, selling houses is awesome and I'm really good at it or I'm not. Either way, is there another place that I can grow into in this brokerage, you know, that I could perhaps use my gifts or skills that I've learned somewhere else? So those are just the beginning ones. We could spend a whole bunch of time on things to look for in real estate brokerages. I would say one thing that's important above all is people look to these big name brokerages and it's actually trending downwards where you're seeing more boutique brokerages um, open up across the country. But people, the belief was back a long time ago, uh, not that long ago, but a few decades ago, uh, that it was these big brands that are going to be the ones that are going to help you like Cascade Sotheby's is a big one. And I'm sure they, they're not going to be hurt by what I'm saying, but Cascade Sotheby's is often known with luxury, but in reality, it's actually over time. It's the agent who, because you'll find if you're in the business eight years and you leave Cascade Sotheby's, your clients aren't going to call Cascade Sotheby's and say, Hey, you're that our agent left who was with you. We still want to be with Cascade. Right? They're going to call you back, the agent who helped them. And so that's why developing your brand is important. And when you choose a brokerage, don't necessarily just look for the biggest names because it's not always the best fit, but they may be. What are the advantages, if they still exist, to joining that large agency? Or is it mostly downside and it looks like the trend is truly to that boutique agency and they should find that home? Yeah, so there. I think... I think th- there's something to say about these big brokerages that are doing well, right? So you, I mean, you can look on Google, but I mean, you're going to find, you know, probably EXP, Keller Williams on, depending on where in the country you're at, Remax, Coldwell Banker. Some of the benefits to these are in certain areas of the country, they are the go-to brokerage, right? So on East coast versus West coast is very different. Like if we live on the West coast and Remax is just not as relevant today as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. You go on the East Coast, Remax is still like one of the go-to brokerages in some spots, you know, above all other brokerages, which is really interesting. Some of the advantages I would say, like, you know, Keller Williams has done a great job at really expanding uh, in their expansion program and franchising out their, their company. And I think one of the benefits to some of these brokerages is the, I guess, vast amount of, I mean, you can say the name and it is well known, I think is one benefit, but at the same time, you're also getting today a much more educated buyer and seller. So people will do their research because we compete against these companies all the time, right? Um, listing appointments and stuff like that. But once they do their research and they look up that person that they interviewed, right? Regardless of what company they're from and their presence on the internet and the reviews that they have and the experience that they have and the house that they sold, it's not like a day and age where people can't find out who you are and what you do. So, you know, I would say some of the benefits in short to some of these bigger brokerages is I guess that, that, that name, some of them have a lot of money. So they're able to attract uh, a certain clientele. And, and have maybe some eternal resources, you know, some built-in CRMs that they had designed themselves. But, you know, again, it just depends on where you're at in the country. I, 
I personally find that more people are leaving these larger brokerages of two, three, four, five hundred people in a brokerage and looking for something where they can actually have contact with the principal broker or contact, you know, or be part of. But, you know, some of these bigger companies do a great job at having a great culture and really selling that. So the get togethers are huge, like Keller Williams, you know, they have family reunion, people come from all across the country. And so there's like three, four, 5,000 people at this reunion. And for some people, that's really attractive just to have just that amount of people in your brokerage or they're associated with that name. So I don't, I, I, I would say it all depends on who you are and what you're looking for. And and how much of that has, you know, as you were describing the way people research who the agent's going to be, I was, my thought process was that feels like who's going to be the listing agent. Um, I mean, how much of this has shifted because of sites like, like Street Easy and Zillow, where buyers, um, particularly in home realty, are doing a lot of research themselves and finding the home that they want and then going to that listing agent? If you're a buyer, it's probably in your best interest to be represented by not the listing agent directly because you don't have necessarily unbiased represent. In fact, in some states it's illegal. Uh, it's called dual representation and in some states it's illegal. So they, in, in, in some agents, even in our area will not do it. They're like, you know what? Too much liability. I can refer you to another agent and they can represent you, but it doesn't cost the buyers any more money because the listing agent or the seller pays the commissions as of right now. It would only make sense for you to to use a buyer's agent. And so if you're a part of Zillow, if you're a part of these programs, they have an option to where if it's your listing, your face is right there. Now downwards, you might have some other realtors uh, that they advertise along with you. But at the end of the day, if you do a good job at putting your house, uh, your client's house out there through social media, through you know, different venues with target demographic, you know, and targeting lead capture forms and stuff like that, pre-marketing, you're going to, you know, increase your chances of generating the buyer. But um, a majority of the time, you're going to see that they are going to be represented by some of these people through Zillow and through. So they, they've affected the real estate industry in a, in, a, in a way that's interesting because you could essentially buy your way into being a, being a really active realtor. With almost zero experience. This is going to bring us to the section of our show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These come from our YouTube community, Upflip on YouTube. Go join the community and you can submit questions for future guests on the podcast. So for these, just real quick, one-hit answers. Um, don't think too long and hard about them. Just go for it with the instinct, whatever comes to you. So question number one, if you could go back to the pre-pandemic world, what's one thing you would do in advance to plan for it? I would ensure that we're able to maintain a solid culture and in regular meetings virtually or I guess somewhat closely uh, as compared to just stopping meetings altogether. What kind of car do you drive? Just sold my Porsche Panamera. I currently am Ubering. <laughs> <laughs> drives Uber. Uh, the Uber drives him. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about one not so great habit of yours that you want to get rid of. Staying up too late, I think is probably probably a big one. What are the unwritten rules of of the modern realty office? Interesting. Actually, there's we pretty much have included everything in there, but 
like no no drama is a big one. Like no gossip, no drama, right? We're really big on that. And it is actually written, but that's kind of one of the things is we're just really big on is no gossip, no drama. Last question here. What's your favorite business book? I would say uh, Crushing It by Gary Vee or The E-Myth is another great business book. So those were our Fan Blitz questions. Again, join us over on YouTube, Upflip on YouTube. Join the community. Pose your questions for future podcast guests. You mentioned, you know, joining your local Realtors Association. Are are there other professional organizations that uh, a real estate agent should should become a part of? You have to join an association regardless. Every city has an association and they're the ones that regulate your day-to-day operations as a realtor. So you have to, but getting involved in your association is different than joining it. And I encourage everyone, if you're, you know, a realtor and you're at a local association, get involved. There's YPN, which is Young Professionals Network. And it's not just for young people. There's people there all ages, but it's great because it focuses on things that new agents might want to learn. I was the uh, president of our YPN here in our Portland metro area and vice president at one point. But there's also Master Circle. There's, you know, but outside of your association, there's these referral networks you can join where they take one from each like subsection of in careers, like an insurance person, a realtor, a construction person, and they'll have, you know, maybe a 14 max, you know, and then everyone kind of trades referrals. Um, that That's a great, you know, but any kind of thing where you're involved in the community, maybe the chamber of commerce, maybe, you know, volunteering, you know, and anything that you can get involved with your community or involved with other people is going to help you as a realtor, whether that be just getting known or getting familiar with your other associates in the industry um, is all beneficial. So for that young real estate agent uh, who doesn't have an established track record of sales just yet, how do they start Mm -hmm. securing clients? Very good question. My best piece of advice is twofold, is if you are a really good self-starter and you are the type of person who can get on YouTube University, so to speak, it's YouTube, or and or you know Google, and you can figure out your way to generate your own business and you know come up with your own style. Great, that's awesome. You know, th- th- I would argue there are very few that are able to do that. But I would say if you're a new agent, you can join a team. Right, this is what Keller Williams is probably the most known for is their team model. I would be wary though because um, a team that doesn't let you take credit for the deals that you sell and you have to close them underneath somebody else's name. Yes, you're learning the process, but you're not necessarily building your resume. So if you ever leave that team, when you leave, you still, when someone looks you up, it still looks like you have no sales. So I would argue uh, that if you're a new agent, you want to find a, a place that will help give you potentially leads, teach you how to work them a really good training pro or, or maybe some, something smaller, maybe coming in as an admin somewhere or uh, uh, try to look for somebody that's looking for to mentor an agent and bring him on. You know, in, in the beginning, the pay may not be great. Just remember that it's, it's in the beginning as a realtor, you're, you're not going to come in making a bunch of money. I can almost certainly guarantee unless you have a husband or wife who was a mass builder and they just give you a bunch of listings and or you're associated with a hedge fund and you're able to but you're otherwise it's going to take at least a year or so or two 
to actually really start getting some some decent income. And what is that that day to day work life of a typical real estate agent? How many you know how many hours of in a week are they working, and what what are some of the main tasks they're they're devoting that time to? Man, Alex, it really depends on what kind of real. This kind of goes back to your question: What kind of realtors are there? So you have full time realtors, and then you have part time realtors, so to speak. Then the part time ones are like you know, hey. I am a mom or I'm a dad and I stay home, but I, I have a real estate license that I will go and make a couple sales here. Their day-to-day is much different than somebody who is a full-time realtor. A full-time realtor, and you know, everybody has their own, you know, kind of limitations or their own way of doing things. Some people are more heavy towards work-life balance. And I don't know how that's possible if you're a solo agent with no ties to the industry uh, as far as like your mom and dad weren't a realtor or anything like that. And you can come in, work nine to five and just go home and, and be done because realtors usually work when people get off work. Realtors work nights and weekends, right? Because people get off work and then they want to go see houses and people don't work. And that's when realtors need to go show houses. So as you get further along in your career, I think that you can have more of a work-life balance, but just me personally, if we were taking me, for example, my days in the beginning years of my real estate career, I mean, were virtually nonstop. Uh, I would work, you know, 18 hour days easily. I'd come home, like total talk time on my phone, be like 14 hours, you know, to have no voice. I mean, in your day to day, like operations is like, you know, you're, you're, you're on the phone. I worked what I worked. On my business, I worked in my business. Um, you know, I worked on my business when I during the day from like when people were able to talk, and then I worked in my business, such as like social media branding at like nighttime. You know, after like people would nine p.m. You know, and then I would begin to really start scheduling out my social media posts and you know planning follow up and you know really systematizing things. So it the grind is real. If you want to succeed in this industry, especially in the beginning, like expect your life to have to make some sacrifices. And that's one thing that I think is a big thing that if you're going to be that, that realtor that really wants to be in the top, you know, 5% or whatever, where you're making six figures a year, you're going to need to be working around the clock. I've in the beginning of my career, I, I was taking phone calls at, you know, one, two in the morning from clients. Because that's when they got off work or they worked string suits or graveyard or maybe they're just weird, you know, and they want to call me at 1 a.m. But I picked up my phone and that's some of the things that set me apart. I have a client that was like that to this day. What has it been? It's been, you know, what, almost 15 years. Uh, we are still friends and, and you know, that, that, that one of those people that would call me at like one in the morning and I've sold multiple homes and now they're into apartments and stuff like that. But the reason why they really appreciated me and continued to use me is they saw the hustle. They saw the ability for me to sacrifice my time and sacrifice friends that I was able to hang out with at times, you know, it's, and so it's not for everybody, but the, the life in the beginning is, is tough. As you get more secure, you get a clientele, you can slow down a little bit and systematize things and get an assistant, stuff like that. But I would say be prepared to really put in the hours in the beginning. So with that with that grind explanation, uh, I mean, I think the next logical question is to then ask about the reward on that grind. So, like, what is you know that 
that like kind of your top performer at Modern Realty? What is kind of what are they taking home at the end of the year? And <laughs> then maybe what what is the more the more average agent taking home? And how does that compare to the industry? Our top real estate agent at Modern Realty had the benefit of joining when it was really just a few agents here, one or two. And he was able to come alongside me and see what it was like. And we took every day to spend three, four hours a day lead genning, uh, getting on the phone, making those calls. And he now is every day to this day, he led one of our recent sales meetings and says, talks about how he still grinds and he closed 84 transactions with no team by himself last year. In our average price point in our area is around 550,000. So if he's averaging about 2%, he made close to near a million dollars last year. And that is, that is a very not common thing, I will tell you. But his work ethic is impeccable. And he understood from the very beginning, he came from the baking industry, which was like nine to five, right? But he understood that when he was here, seeing what it took to succeed and really adapt to that and put in the work and it still pays dividends to him. But to this day, he still will, now he has a family, he has kids, but he will still time block out that time to lead generate and everything like that. And he, so that's how much he's making, you know, and that's how many transactions he's doing. But the average I would say, I mean, it, it ranges significantly, but across the nation, the average income for a realtor, I believe right now is around fifty-five dollars to $60,000 a year. And that's, and we've been on a really hot run in the real estate market before it was in the $40,000 range. So I think that, I think that, you know, there's a vast difference there. I think most realtors to come in, they think they're going to make, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's just simply not true. The average is around 55, 60,000. So the question is, do you really want to work and grind that hard and potentially only make 50, 60,000? Or is it better just to go find a job that's more consistent and uh, not necessarily have to work and grind that hard? But in real estate, you get what you put into it. What kind of online presence does a real estate agent need in 2022? You know, what should be on the website? What social media platforms should they be on? All of that. Uh, Alex, everything. I mean, as much as possible. I always have my agents, um, you know, we'll, when they first come in, uh, you know, or, you know, when we do a review or business plan, I'm like, okay, let's Google your name. Okay, let's see what pops up. And we do that. And I'm like, okay, now let's Google somebody else's name. And sometimes it'll be mine. Sometimes it'll be somebody else's that we know that is a successful realtor. And I say, okay, do you see how the first page of Google is only that person's name, right? That shows up. That's what yours needs to look like. So everything from Facebook, Instagram, Yelp, medium.com for blogging, uh, Zillow, you know, anything with reviews, anything that can help build your presence, content, YouTube, obviously is a great one. And again, how you distribute that content and what content you put out, again, is going to be dependent upon the type of realtor you want to be. But just being a realtor to be known in your area, I would highly recommend even putting out content on all these social media platforms about local businesses, maybe doing an interview about, you know, it's called hyperlocalism. And it's, and it's all about, you know, when people Google your area, your house is for sale, right? It's going to pick up your name or something that you've 
done in that city through your hashtags, through your SEO, through all of that. So again, you know, um, Google business page, all that stuff, every, every possible online presence you can have, I would definitely do it. And you can find a list, you know, you could, you could go to Google and you can go top websites to be involved in as a realtor or be subscribed to as a realtor, right? And it'll break it down for you. There's, there's tons of them, but in this day and age, the better presence you have and the more content you're putting out, especially, you know, and mix it up. Don't just only do real estate stuff, do some personal stuff too, but, and be vulnerable. Nobody, not most people don't like being on video or, or whatnot, but I think that you have to get out of your comfort zone and, and really be okay with that too. Video marketing is a, is a huge one because it ranks high on, on search engines. For my last question here, I'm going to ask you to just kind of gaze into your crystal ball. And uh, where do you see the real estate industry going over the next 10 years? What are the major shifts or changes that you see coming? Well, uh, let me pull out that crystal ball here. I haven't used it in a while. Um, so I see that, uh, I mean, it's 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 interesting. We, we see interest rates rising, right? Which you hear the doomsdayers saying, okay, we're going to have a huge crash. I don't, I don't see that happening personally. I think that we will see a correction. I, I think we're going to see a slowdown in the amount of price point growth year over year because you ha- it has to be. Uh, right now, we've we've seen price points year over year grow in double digits, 13 14%, 12%. That's just not a normal market. But the problem that we have here is that we also have an inventory problem because you have um, an older generation of baby boomers, I guess you'd call them, generation that have you know, real estate and they're looking to downsize. And then you have first time home buyers or millennials or the, the probably the largest first time home buying group right now. I think they could price 75%. So there, we have an inventory problem. Um, and also that has a lot to do with these hedge funds and these big corporations coming in and buying up real estate as well. So he, as far as like things changing, I think that we're going to see a shift in the market as far as prices maybe not rising as quickly. We're still going to see high demand for property. But the problem is, is that if you take somebody maybe like me or somebody else who has bought in some properties over the last 10 years, who now has a bunch of equity and low interest rates, there's no incentive for anyone to sell below or drop their prices. So I don't see anything like where you're going to see a market crash or people selling below what they need to, unless life just hit them really hard for some reason. Maybe, you know, who knows, they went bankrupt or I don't know. But otherwise, some other interesting things, you're starting to see crypto, blockchain come into the real estate market. People have been trying to disrupt the real estate industry for a while now, last like 25 plus years with technology and kind of replace the agent. That's been very difficult to do. No one's been successful in it. There are startups that have a limited agent but really, most of the, the things that we're seeing have not been able to do that. Will they? Who knows? But I think over the next 10 years, I think the process of buying a house is going to become much faster. I think you're going to see consolidation with these real estate brokerages, not just doing real estate, but also owning mortgage companies, uh, escrow companies, and so forth, because right now it's just a race to the bottom. And I think you're also going to see a decrease in the next 10 years of the amount of realtors that are in the market. Because uh, if you've been in the real estate market up even, like I said, seven, eight years ago, it's been a pretty good run for you. Like you could be a mediocre real estate, even not a bad realtor 
and have done pretty decent in the last few years, if not more. So this is really going to kind of help weed out the cream of the crop once things start slowing down a little bit and bring back those people who aren't afraid to get on the phones and get out there and knock on doors and put the time in and nurture their database. Uh, Those are the agents that are really going to start winning. That is going to do it for this edition of the UpFlip podcast. Join us again every week uh, with new interviews with entrepreneurs. Go find us also on YouTube and check out the UpFlip blog. Santino Filippelli, owner and principal broker of Modern Realty. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much, Alex. It's such a pleasure. We love you guys. 